hello everyone. I'm Alexander Hogevin Rudder, and welcome to the Energy Disruptors Podcast, the podcast where we provide insights into the innovators who are changing our energy world. Today, I'm delighted to have Deborah Fadei of uh, Vector Energy. Um, so, firstly, Deborah, thanks so much, and uh, welcome to the studio. Thank you, Alex. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to be in this podcast, uh, the Energy Disruptors. Uh, I'm looking forward to have to having this talk. Time. Thank you. Thanks again, Deborah. And uh, to start off, I think we want uh, if you could let our audience know a little bit about your journey and how you became an entrepreneur. Okay, so um, growing up, um, I was a victim of energy poverty. I stayed. Uh, I lived all my childhood life um, um, in the peri-urban areas of Lagos. Lagos is the capital of Nigeria. Um, Lagos used to be the capital of Nigeria. It was like the, you know, the um, business capital of Nigeria. And um, I kind of like lived in a marginalized area. And this was in the 90s where um, small petrol generators were the vibe, right? Like it defined the average lifestyle of a middle um, class uh, family, right? And you find out that most middle class had to have it. It was like a a a, a status symbol. But um, as at six years old, my best friend and her family died from carbon monoxide poisoning from the small petrol generator because, in as much as it was a status symbol, um, people were stealing. Um, petrol generators so they kind of like kept in an enclosed area and then the smoke from the petrol generator took their lives right um it is it was so um defining because as at the 90s small petrol generators were referred to as i better pass my neighbor that's in local parlance but truly what it meant was that like i am better than my neighbors and that's why I have a small petrol generator so looking at it in retrospective the so-called small petrol generator um didn't it, it took their lives making their neighbors even better than them and it was really defining for me because you know as a child I didn't exactly know how to process the pain right um we didn't have access to you know a small petrol generator because we were in exactly middle class um but um i had to read with candles i had to read with um um flashlights and this kind of like spurred me into you know um trying to solve problems within my local um community even though i was still young so i would put like cds together used um um compact discs and small lead um bulbs with like big batteries big tiger batteries and i would you know put it together um with um small planks here and there and i would essentially sell it to my um classmates you know and that's where my journey into entrepreneurship started so i started really early like around seven years um old but like i as as I progressed, I continued to experience different, you know, uh, climate issues, um, developmental issues, 
by the time I was um, 19, I had to undergo um, a mandatory um, military, uh, would I say paramilitary um, engagement. Um, it's called um, National Youth Corps. Um, so after your university, after your undergraduate, you have to go through that. And I was posted to the Niger Delta region of Nigeria. And then I witnessed what oil spills uh, could do to, to communities, could essentially take away livelihood, could, you know, maim women, maim youths, right? Because um, they have no access to their lifestyle, the lifestyle that they used to live pre, um, before the emergence of oil, before the oil bloom. And, you know, it kind of like damaged their communities and there was so much unrest, right? So I started to think like, oh, so how can I essentially solve this on a large scale? What essentially can I do, right? I've passed through energy poverty in, in my local community growing up, but this is another kind of energy poverty. This is even much more defining for, for, for these people. Um, so I continued my journey. I got into um, employment, but I was still like trying to, you know, find ways to improve my knowledge about it because I could, at that point in time, I didn't exactly know what, how to qualify what these people were passing through. Um, but I knew that they were passing through something that was, was unusual. That wasn't, it wasn't exactly um, an act of God. Like it was man-made. It could be work done, right? So, um, I started out as a social entrepreneur, you know, um, pre-qualifying communities, rural communities, where prior access to electricity, um, communities that have been affected by oil spills. And what I did was um, I used um, uh, um, solar technologies to empower um, the youths and the women within the community. So in as much as they were going through this, they, um, their livelihood was defined by, you know, either farming or fishing. So with the solar um, technology training, with the solar um, implementation, solar energy implementation within their communities, they were able to, you know, the youth were able to chart a new um, career course. And um, I was able to, able, with the help of the communities as well, was able to, you know, deploy um, access to electricity um, for these communities. And... Um, it essentially started to, you know, grow from there. So this is um, solving the issues for rural communities was one um, was one side of the coin, right? The other side of the coin was the sixty, you know, sixty percent of Nigerians who have access to electricity, but it's epileptic, right? Um, right now. Um, I'm I'm in Lagos. I've not had um electricity for a week, right? And my only saving grace is the technology that I built, right? So um, and that's essentially the story of, you know, um, sixty percent of Nigerians. Nobody has access to twenty four hours, seven days electricity, right? So um, I started to look for how to, yeah. you know, um, solutions for. Um, um, the urban population who do not have access to, who do not have two for seven access to electricity, and this is essentially where vector energy 
came up. So on one hand, yeah. um, Reese Africa, which is the nonprofit services um, rural population and vector services urban population. Yeah, no, I mean, thanks for sharing this. I mean, incredibly powerful story and I think really highlights, you know, the challenges of, of energy poverty and and the importance of, of creating these solutions, not just from a, you know, climate perspective, but also from a, you know, from an access and a, and a development perspective. Um, so, you know, I'd really love to, to hear more about kind of the solution that, that you're working on today and, um, you know, its impact both in Nigeria and, and as you say, across uh, kind of West Africa more generally. Okay, so um, with Vector Energy, um, I'm working with Imagine Markets, um, Imagine Urban uh, Markets, um, for example, um, Nigeria, because if 60% of um, the population didn't have access to stable electricity, with Nigeria being with Nigeria's demographic being uh, with the youths being the largest demographic in in Nigeria, then there is bound to be a problem because youths are now moving into remote jobs, being creatives and all of that, just to you know mitigate the high unemployment rate. So they are kind of like creating you know solutions within the tech and IT space, and that requires access to electricity. Now they cannot afford to pay for you know the restructure of the outdated grid that Nigeria has or the outdated electricity infrastructure that Nigeria has but um, solutions like what Vector Energy is proposing you know where they're able to power what matters to be able to deliver um, to be able to build technology for the world is what matters and that's how we continue to help the tech community the creatives the youths who are the largest demography um, um, in, in in Nigeria, and in so doing, um, this typically this bottom up solutions. You know, electricity is a, an everyday problem. It's an everyone problem. And if you, you know, attack it that way, saying oh you want to solve, you want to solve for everybody, you want to solve energy um, poverty for everybody, you would essentially get nowhere. So what Vector Energy is doing is taking, you know. Um, different target audience and providing customized solutions for them. So with this decentralized um, approach that we are taking to solve um, um, Nigeria's electricity issues, um, we are able to help um, 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 youths to focus on what they need to do, deliver their task, and also help us save the environment. So they don't necessarily have to rely on uh, um, uh, um, small petrol generators that are, you know, traditionally fossil, uh, um, fossil fuel power generation. Um, and what we've mm. tried to do with Vector Energy to take up the to ensure the uptake of of um, renewable energy is that our solutions um, combine fintech, financial technology, with um, with the hardware, right? Um, the hardware in itself is solar powered. It has an inbuilt inverter, lithium ion batteries. It's portable and all of that. Um, and you know that when you use um, uh, um, solar powered solutions, you kind of like save carbon footprint. So what we do is we try as much as possible to col collect or um, you know account for that carbon footprint 
and convert it to savings right. and then the savings is verified pretty much and then that verification in itself is what would essentially enable our users to earn for every time they use um clean solutions like vector eco which is one of our flagship products yeah okay so i i mean i mean nigeria obviously you know you've got a huge demographic dividend a lot of young people a lot of people aspiring you know you mentioned the tech community um but uh but you know these kinds of solutions you're talking about lithium ion batteries you talk about inverters i mean this doesn't come cheap so so how do you uh how do you kind of make it affordable and i, I think you were talking about monetizing carbon credits is that that part of it but but how else do you kind of make uh make this solution affordable for um for your target audience okay so what we um started to do is you know Nigeria in itself, Nigeria, if we were to sell this product outside of Nigeria, outside of Africa, right, it would not necessarily be expensive, right? But then again, like, the we understand the dynamics of African countries, like, take for example, of Nigeria, um, an average person needs really a dollar per day, and the um, average um, salary in, in Nigeria is about more um, than $50 per month. That's like really low, right? So um, if you think about that, you have to, you know, create like several strategies to ensure that um, renewable energy is more appealing. Um, and the government at this point in time is not exactly helping because we've been pushing for like um, tax taxes to be removed from solar and its components when the, the the materials still get to the customs they still charge um the usual so there's like a you know a disconnect between what the government says or the government agrees to on um the end as the as per the ndc's um the nationally determined contributions and what you know it says uh um, it's kind of like disconnected with the implementation phase, with the um, customs um, department on ground, who would essentially allow these goods go scot free without, you know, charging tax. Um, but what we've been able to do as Vector is to typically emphasize the long term savings. Right? We compare the cost, the social, the financial, environmental cost of um uh um petrol generators to um our, our solutions and we also tell them that the government has actually banned petrol generators since 2015 right and aside that we offered them Wait, sorry petrol generators have been banned since 2015 but people are yeah. people are still using them because the, the government's kind of enforced them exactly exactly so the the, right. the government cannot exactly enforce the ban because they've not exactly provided a solution that can compete with small petrol generators right. in terms of um the cost you know the initial cost of acquiring acquiring petrol generators is significantly lower than you know um, um solar solutions right but the long term on long term basis solar is cheaper but people want what they can see right now right like they want what they, they are not exactly living for the future they just want to satisfy you know um what they are they are paying right now and i see a lot of no, i mean and this is an issue not just in nigeria yeah 
Yeah. Okay. So um, there's there's a recent development now. There's going to be subsidy removal um, from fossil fuel, fossil fuel subsidy removal um, by the incoming government. So um, petrol, diesel, um, fossil fuel derivatives would go on and be on the increase. So currently we're paying less than a dollar, um, um, like thirty cents per liter, but um, when the subsidy is removed, we're paying as high as three dollar per liter of right. derivative. So and that's not exactly commensurate with um the average salaries being in. So there's going to be a whole lot of inflation. People will start scrambling for alternative um sources. In alternative because solar is referred to as alternative in Nigeria will now become the main. And that's the prospect that, you know, that's the um upside to the subsidiary model. So we, we we see um that you know there's there's going to be um a better uptake of solar um within um the Nigerian market and we're already preparing for it. We have um financing options with one of the biggest banks in Nigeria, So you can pay as low as um ten dollars to um acquire the system and continually pay up to like 18 months, right? Um, we also have, uh, right. it's, um, uh, we also have- Sorry. And so you've got this financing solution. Are you like, are you taking that on your own books or you have bankers uh, or, or debt capital that allows you to kind of offer that that financing option? Okay, so um, because as a, 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 a black, as a Nigerian woman trying to raise money, <laughs> um for a very yeah exactly uh, so many um um venture companies don't want to you know, invest in hardware they are more you know enticed by the fintechs of the 21st century and all of that um so it's really hard but what we've been able to do with sterling bank is to uh strike some sort of um uh, innovative approach where you know they pay us upfront right and then the people or the users that are on the radar that you know registered with spelling bank that have high financial standing or a good financial standing with the bank can approach the bank and say you know what i want to take a loan to buy this product and then they finance it we don't have to wait for them to wait for the 18 month elapsed they give us the money up front but we essentially sell the products to the bank at a wholesale rate, right? So in selling to the bank at a wholesale rate, um, we get the monies to be able to, um, you know, um, continue our operations while the bank just deals with the uh, um, financial whatnot with, with the user. So the user has to prove to the bank directly that they can take up that uh, uh, loan. So the bank also charges interest um, to the user um, while we just take the wholesale, um, the the, um, the monies that, you know, they've given us as about buying off the product from us. So um, that's how Sterling Bank, that's how we interact with Sterling Bank. Um, then we, um we've started partnering we've started partnering with our users too as well so we asked them to 
um, based on the trust that they have for us, we ask them that, okay, if they, if they want a, um, another kind of product, maybe, um, now we are launching, um, a bigger size, they can pay, they can pre-order. So they pay like 40% and then we, you know, continue to update them on the journey. Um, take the 40% that they've paid to as down payment to manufacture um, the, this, the um, device that they want. And then when it's complete, tell them, okay, it's complete. Please pay the remaining six. So um, it's a lot of, you know, um, bootstrapping. It's a lot of trust right. ongoing within, within the structure. So having to build trust and using it as um, some sort of a currency is highly um, essential for uh, for this growth. Right, and just out of curiosity, what's the typical interest rate your your customers would pay with the bank? Um, so I think the the bank charges them um, between eighteen to twenty five, depending on the number of months they they want to pay. But we still advise our customers to um, pay, uh, just pay one time full payment because. You know, when you're buying um, a product for, take for example, $20, if you are buying from the bank, then you'll be paying close to $80 by or $70 by the time, you know, uh, by, the, the, by the end of 18 months. But I understand that people are really particular about time preference for money. Like, okay, imagine me dropping $20 yeah. When I can drop three dollars and continue every day and continue to use that um, um, until I pay off in the next eighteen months, I don't think they are essentially bothered about um, what happens to the, you know, overpayment, so to speak. Um, but for me, as a user um, and also an entrepreneur, I would rather buy one time than having to pay, but I mean, we allow our customers define the product for us. And that's why we, we say our products are customer centric as opposed to me imposing what we think our customers would like. No, I think um, this, you know, if there's any venture debt uh, <laughs> providers out there listing, I think that really kind of demonstrates a huge kind of opportunity um, because I mean, it is economic, right? Like even if you're paying these, these, these high interest rates of 18, 20, 25%, um, the savings in petrol is still more than the amount that they're paying for, for this product. Is, is that fair to say? Yes, absolutely. Because, you know, oftentimes then what we do is focus on the financial bit, financial savings, but there is more to it. There's the social, there's the environmental. And I'll give an example with the social. Imagine you running petrol generator, right? Everywhere is there's so much noise. Um, my neighbor is running the generator. Everybody like it's it's so upsetting. You won't be able to sleep. You can't even I can't even you know make calls, um, as such, right? You know, so it's like some some social ups uh upset so to speak. Like there is. There's a, a social unrest with using these traditional um, sources of electricity. Right. Then when you talk about the environment, you know, the, the greenhouse gases has been released, you know, um, um, public health has been disturbed, 
people are complaining of uh, um, um, uh, you know different uh, airborne um, diseases, um, um, cancer because obviously like PM two point five causes cancer, right? So air pollution and all of that is really, and I think that's one of the things that made Nigeria ban small petrol generators. Right, but the implementation in itself, it's they, they've not right. been able to enforce that ban. So there's a lot that you need to when you put the the social and the environmental costs coupled with the financial costs, you would realize that twenty five percent is so so negligible. Like it's so negligible. So yeah. um, if the customer wants to. By all means, do twenty, do the twenty five percent, do spread the payments. Fantastic. The person is still recording huge cost savings, right? If the person wants to pay one time, the person is even recording further um, savings. And we understand that you know the buying power in Nigeria is really low, and that is why um, installment payments, power as a service, is you know really essential. Um, but um, we 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 would, you know, we look forward to how the government or, you know, different mechanisms can also help to, you know, lower these interest rates. Perhaps offer interest free loans. I know that there are some, there's some brands in the UK like uh, uh, um, Klarna, right, where you split into six payments and it's interest free. The only time the interest starts to count is when you default a payment. So in as much as we are uh, we are into um you know uh we're into so that we're also looking at interesting innovative um financing mechanisms by other startups that we can partner with, you know, to help us, you know, increase the uptake of, of our products. And another thing that I failed to mention properly is the, the carbon credit, right? The carbon credit mechanism in helping people drive down um, the costs of uh, of acquiring uh, um, solar, right? And in this sense, it's typically monetizing the social and environmental impact um, of not using um, um, fossil fuel, right? So what we, we, we've done is, or what we are still working on currently is connecting the hardware that we already have, the, the systems that we've already built, right, to a mobile app that doesn't just allow us to allow the users to see how much charge is left or if they if it's if their system is charging properly but also they're able to you know um the system the device is able to um, transfer or upload um the savings right and then um the the cloud calculates the savings um and through the block blockchain um network it is converted it's tra- um, it's transferred really? to our third party um verifier and then the verifier can sell the carbon credits and transfer the um the the, the sales back to the user's uh, um wallet within the mobile app right and then the this this wallet has its own coin um based system right where the 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 customer the user can you know trade either buy airtime um, on the app pay for you know grid electricity bills and make transfers right to other like peer-to-peer to other uh, um, users alike 
and essentially we are looking at a scenario where we could build an energy coin with this kind of you know that is you know, we can essentially use to actually pay for you know real real things so um the merge between the mobile app and the hardware it's it's to you know bring fi- um, financial inclu- inclusion closer to you know or merge basically merge financial inclusion and energy inclusion because i i believe that if people have you know there's this a I feel like energy poverty is directly proportional to extreme poverty. So if you can inversely, you know, if you increase uh, energy access, you are decreasing extreme poverty, right? Uh, again, if people don't have access really? to Absolutely. electricity, there's more, there's nothing more that they can do uh, about um, extreme poverty. People will get poorer. But if you increase access to electricity, you are bound to take people out of poverty. So, and that translates into um, a youth, yeah. right? A youth that has um, a remote job. If the, um, the the youth is not able to fulfill the tasks, right, for the, the remote client, it might right. essentially lose the job. But if there is electricity to be able to do all of these things, because electricity is one of the main, is in fact, is the main issue with remote workers in Nigeria. You know, having to give an excuse to a global north client saying, "Oh, I don't, I've never, I've not had electricity for three days." It's unbelievable. You think it's the use is probably playing a prank, right? Maybe trying to use your, um, right. um, um, use your intelligence or, or whatnot, but. If the, that that uh, um, uh, obstacle can be removed, right, then the youth is able to deliver more. The youth is able to make money, and because the, of the way the Nigerian traditional society is built, right now the most of the youth are the one taking care of their parents. You know, they call it black tax, right? So, um, this black tax. So it's we we essentially solving a a a pro- a problem that. If if we eventually solve appropriately, it could have so much ripple effect. It would have, have so much value to the largest demography in Nigeria and also help Nigeria develop, right? So um energy, access to energy is the ability to do work. I believe that if we are able to merge finance and energy, access to energy together, we can do so much, you know. And essentially that's what um vector energy is working on. Uh, so thanks so much for sharing that, Deborah. Um, this kind of reminds me of the va- ad I was watching from from Vector, you know, where you've got the, the young man, he's doing the remote work, he's got to submit by a deadline, and then the power goes out, and it's like, oh no, all is lost. And then, you know, he turns on his Vector, and it's, uh, you know, he's able to get the power back and, and complete his submission, and, you know, save his job. And, and you know, you can really use this sort of climate tech solution, not just for climate purposes, but also to, um, you know, break that energy poverty cycle and then you know break the real poverty cycle as well so it's it's really fantastic um what you're doing there mm-hmm. all right so deborah one of the things i i really love about vector is that you know it's a physical product it really is creating real value um for customers but the challenge of course is that it's, it's quite capital intensive right when you're when you're building a product you know you got to iterate you got to build prototypes you got to do testing so i just want to, i was hoping you could walk us through you know how did you find the capital uh, especially in, you know, in a country like Nigeria, how did you find the capital to kind of build the prototypes, 
to, you know, to get out the product in the first place, to build the products, um, how are we able to do that? Okay, might I just state here that building physical products, hardware typically, um, as an African, as a woman, is way difficult compared to um, other counterparts that are even women mm-hmm. and are building software, you know, um, building particularly fintech, they get money. But we have to prove to investors that the product is bankable, you know, it has been, and again, like everybody understands that building hardware is, um, it's it's not it's 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 a function of delayed gratification. You don't just push the product, um, and then continue to just expect money to start rolling in, which is typical to fintech. You know, you invest, um, they get customers, um, and then you know the services, whether software as a service or whatnot, is being you know propagated, and you get your money. But for adware, it's quite um, difficult. And I remember when we started, I used all of my savings to um, to build um, our first MVP. And wow. it was basically based on what customers had, you know, um, recommended. Oh, we want a product that can do this. We want a product that can, you know, do all of this. And then we built. We built for the customer. And when it was time to, you know, make a down payment towards acquiring this hardware, uh, they started saying, oh, it was, uh, even though they had already dictated the price point, oh, it was too expensive and all of that. And it just made me realize that there is a, there is not so much investment in hardware, maybe through some, some sort of subsidy or some sort of encouragement from venture capitalists. And I remember um, a book that I read, I think it was, uh, I think it's one of, um, I think it's the Elon Musk book, where there was, uh, uh, I can't quite remember where I read it from, but it was pointing to the fact that, um, you know, the um, as, as at 20 years back or 10 years back, um, during the, um, dot com period um silicon valley kind of like crashed because um there was no fiscal or there was no extensive fiscal products to match with the service software everybody kept building and i kind of like see that repeating itself right. now right. because if there is no in- investment in hardware um then there's going to be a problem who is going to who essentially is going to build hardware for you know most of the things that we use right are hardware products but they are made more efficient by software they're made more efficient by ai robots is hardware made more efficient by you know different um, software technology you know having to put all of these things together means that hardware would always have its place and if we keep you know um uh, um, marginalizing people that are building hardware for for the world or for the continent then there's going to be a problem and that is the challenge we're having right now now finding capital like I, I try to rise above the noise um i know that there is 
less capital for what I'm building. So I kind of like look for different ways to, you know, raise um, secure funding. So one of the most helpful ways is grants, right? Um, we've not been able to secure large grants, um, but as as I uh, I think as we progress, we'll be able to do that because one thing about grants is that uh, they want to like see what you've done. Or philanthropic grants or competitions, or where like where are the grants yeah. coming from? Through competitions, right? So um, and that means our, our delivery has to be exceptional. You know, there are some grants that we've actually gone for and did not win. Um, not necessarily because we didn't put our best or it's not a product that is serving, but you know, um, it's it's we've noticed that um different stakeholders that have the money are more tilted to software as a service product. And it's okay, right? Um, but there has to be some um uh, maybe venture capitalists can essentially or um uh, donors can essentially put in more finance into you know adware um another thing is to that we've done is seeking out angel investors so typically ffs friends families uh foes um so you know basically individuals who would help us provide funding for to manufacture and then you know with the manufacturing there is a lot of reiterations the you know, continuous reiterations um you can as well sell to to the customer right and if you if there is need for reiteration um to collect from the customer might you know leak some sort of perception that oh this product is not up to par and all of that but for software you just continue to send them the updated version or go download on google play store app store um so that's one of like the issues that we we uh we are facing and angel investing has a a huge so we with this money we can build for the market and then when we are issuing into the market we know that okay this is a fantastic product and um there's no need for um unnecessary recalls then another thing Content. that we've done are you able to make money uh, right away like like is is that is that a priority or or you're like in software the often the premise is you know you sell at a loss you build your market share once you build your market share then you make money can you can you do that with a hardware business or do you have to make money right away like do you have to to make sure you're profitable um, from very early on yes we can do that but we because most of what we're doing is bootstrapping we make sure that we make it profit right from the um the sales so currently what we are selling we are making over a hundred percent um gross profit from each sale but ultimately like if you the operations all of that um we we are right. currently about 30 percent net profit and essentially we having to put that 30 percent net profit back into that's after we've removed you know operational um stock and all of that now putting that 30 percent net profit into the business again means that we're able to make more products able to manufacture more products right um then another thing that we've been doing and i think that really that, pardon I, was say, I think really highlights the value you're creating right if, if people are you know you're creating so much value for customers that that the product is worth so much 
you know, whether in the diesel savings or whether in the value they're providing to their work, um, I think it really speaks to what a what a strong uh, strong product you have. But but please continue. Yeah. So another thing that we are doing is that we are taking the money, you know, because it's so capital intensive um, to build this product. We are taking the money from the customers based on trust um, through pre-order. So we ask our customers to pre-order the products, pay 40% down payment um, if there is no stock on ground. And then we take that 40% with the remaining monies that we have and we are able to produce way more than we expected. So um, that's another way we are able to like raise um, capital to be able to do this business prepping. Then another thing is that through angel investors, it's not like we're sharing um, equity um, currently with these um, angel investors. We either do um, a, a convertible debt where they get, um, you know, they either use it as equity or they just cash their monies out at the end of the term. Or we get our, our, our friends, um, our acquaintances to invest directly into the product. So you can drop $2,000, $2,000 will manufacture, take for example, 10 units, right? We sell the 10 units on your behalf, right? And we split the profit. So you get, at the end of six months, you get your 2,000 plus say 15% of um, the gross um, profit or 10% of the gross profit. So that's another way we are um, looking to, you know, raise funding to be able to raise capital, to be able to. Oh, wow. That, that's a really, really cool model. So like, it's almost like venture debt, but like venture debt at a, like an angel or a, a micro scale. That's, that's a really, yeah. um, really great innovation. I hope, uh, I hope it can be replicated. Mm -hmm. Okay. So typically that's how we've been able to, you know, raise um capital to to invest in building physical products um overall finding capital in a less developed financial and legal system like nigeria requires um, a lot of creativity and resourcefulness um we would like to explore the conventional funding source but it's not you know so open to us so we are left with using very unconventional funding source, continually building relationships with potential investors, you know, until maybe the skill falls off their eyes and they realize that, oh, this is what you should be doing. So far, we've spoken to over 200 um, potential investors. The promise is, you know, and they also try to price you down because they know you're not... Uh, there's a lot of risk involved in, in, in hardware, and I totally understand that. But someone has to do it, right? Someone has to be the hardware. Absolutely. You know, having to solve um, energy poverty still requires hardware. You cannot build um, solar, you cannot build um, the energy infrastructure based on just software alone. It still needs to be. Absolutely you know, things with, 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 with hardware. So this is where we stand. At a point in time, we started considering porting to software, um, software tech, because um, it was so difficult and 
um, that's why we realized that, you know what, the market is not going to make us shift. We are here for a reason. Instead of moving, m- making that shift, we can essentially employ software to make our hardware better. And that's why that's why, why we started developing um, the Vector mobile app. So with the mobile app, you can cash out your um, coins um, based on carbon credits. So if you use the hardware, if you use our portable stations, you can get um, tokens, coins that you can cash out in local currency or use to pay bills like buy airtime, um, pay for grid electricity or even basically peer-to-peer trading. So another person that has um, the Vector mobile app, you would, would like to pay another user, they can use that um, coin pretty much. And in the future, we want to see how that coin itself can be, be some sort of tenable um, currency that people can essentially use to transact. And that means that we'll be building a coin for uh, 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 for clean energy, so to speak, from clean energy. And that would essentially, you know, help people have better access to um, clean sources of electricity. Because energy access and financial inclusion are pretty much tied. You know, you can't fulfill absolutely can't fulfill energy access without fulfilling financial inclusion for people to be able to afford electricity they need to be financially stable so that relationship is really important to us um um the c for all that um, sustainable energy for all one of their commitments is to be able to retire carbon credits to be able to fund the energy transition so if a business like ours is looking to do the same on you know on the private level, um that means we can essentially add up to that ambition, you know, to help people mm. be able to access finance to reduce the, the cost of acquiring um renewable energy um services and also in turn save the environment. So because just having to tell someone, oh, stop burning fossil fuel without a proper replacement. Um, it's just lectures, as far as I'm concerned, because everybody, Absolutely. Um, according to the master's hierarchy of needs, um, people are more focused to, um, to fulfilling their critical needs, their basic needs, right? So if they cannot fulfill that, every other thing do not matter except that is fulfilled. So we have to find um, a, a bridge, so to speak, that helps them to connect what they should do for the environment, um, the affordability, how it would impact on their finances, right? And the security in itself. So typically fulfilling the energy trilemma. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, I think, I think this is, I mean, this is why, I mean, the podcast titles is Energy Disruptors, right? And I think, you know, and, and you mentioned, you know, creativity and resourcefulness. I think you're, you know, you're one of the most um, kind of creative and resourceful companies I've met um, to, as you say, you know, you can't sacrifice energy access. You can't sacrifice affordability. We also want to be sustainable. And, and this is why these sort of innovations and, and creativity is um, so, so important. 
And I think what, what, you know, you really highlighted is there's a technical innovation you've done, which is, which is fantastic with the actual product itself, but it's also this ecosystem, right? There's the financial innovation in terms of how you've got different people, um, to, uh, to contribute and, and, uh, take part in, in the ownership of the company or, or debt, providing debt to the company, but there's also this innovation with the coin and the carbon credits. Um, and I think to be a you know, successful climate entrepreneur, I think you've really highlighted that, that you have to think kind of holistically about, about the big picture and the big, uh, the bigger problems, um, facing your customers and, and facing society. So I, I really appreciate you sharing all these examples. Thank you very much. <laughs> No, you've got a ton of great insights, a ton of great stories from you. Um, I, I've, I've learned a lot and I, I hope your audience will as well. Um, I guess I'll leave with this, this one last uh, you know, bonus question we always like to ask all our guests is, um, who is your favorite scientist or inventor? Well, I have a couple. Um, but I think one of the, one of the, science inventors that actually stands out for me is not to be cheeky Elon Musk um because it's is a different kind of inventor you know the conventional inventor just you know manufactures um invents something new something that changes the the course of uh of mankind right um or typically just you know improve on something that's already been done but having an inventor that not just um invents but also is particular about you know making it customer centric that's you know marketing it um turning it into like a a business that actually impacts people not just from the place of need but like creating jobs, enabling, you know, society and all that. I think um, Elon Musk has done a fantastic, um, has made significant contributions. Same with Steve Jobs. Um, you know, his innovation has re revolutionized the way we interact with technology um, and essentially like ha impacted how we live and work. I remember starting out um vector energy and one of the i was reading um an article about steve jobs and i said to myself that you know what i'm i know that energy access is everybody's problem like everyone needs energy access i'm going to build a product that is as specific and as multi-use as it could be so if you take vector any of vector energy's product and place it in the uk fine the uk has access to electricity 247 right but it has a need for people that are campers you know people that are on cpap um outdoor events you know where you can essentially see gas generators being used right um, that can that can replace um, vector. Yeah, yeah, I mean, gas generators are used all around the world. Like, I mean, obviously in, in developing yeah. countries, but also in, in countries, all sorts of applications. Yeah. So um, the product 
the customer actually dictates what the product can be used for, so to speak. And it's the same with iPhone, um, you know, Apple products, so to speak. Like the customers dictate what the products can be used for. And, you know, um, the innovation just keeps getting better, you know, better and better. And essentially that's what I see for Vector Energy, where the customers are so invested in the inventions, the creations, and, you know, they can essentially be our campaigners, be our marketers. You know how um, Apple products are now a thing. I don't know if it's the same in the global north, but in the global south, like Nigeria, typically, it's some sort of status. Like if you have an iPhone, everybody wants to talk to you. Everybody just automatically thinks that you're rich, you know, um, Maybe we could essentially build that kind of following for for Vector, but these are like the things that makes um these two people my favorite um inventors because they did not just change the course of how technology of how technology could affect uh uh, uh the need in itself, but like make an impact how we live, how we work, you know, enabling society creating jobs you know um even enabling um governments too right so um i think that's essentially how invention in the 21st century would would um unfold uh thanks so much i think yeah you're absolutely right that that new types of innovations are required uh people thinking about the customer thinking about the planet Thinking about new ways of doing things, new ways of working, new ways of living. And uh, from Elon Musk to uh, Deborah Fade, I think uh, I can't wait to, to see what sort of innovations uh, keep coming out of this uh, climate tech space. So thanks again, Deborah. I really appreciate your insights. And I hope this was a, a valuable learning experience uh, for our audience as well. Thank you very much, Alex. Um, just thank you for the opportunity to as well to share. Um, like you mentioned, um, energy access needs some sort of disruption before to enable um, um, access to all by 2030. So I'm really glad that we're having this discussion and I'm very um, positive that um, the podcast is a huge tool to um, continually to enable people, enable different stakeholders to you know, learn more about energy access to be able to take action. I think creating that conversation and enabling people to take action is typically um, what this um, podcast hopes to wield. And I, I once again thank you for the opportunity. Uh, thanks so much and uh, looking forward to hearing more from you. Have a great night. Bye. Bye. So, uh, wow, I mean, <laughs> that was uh, super inspiring and super powerful. And I hope uh, you all got out as much of that as I did. Um, I mean, this is why we're here doing the Energy Disruptors podcast. And this is why we're here uh, working climate more broadly. Um, we really have a chance to make a, make a difference in the world. Um, so it's so great to hear from Deborah. Next week, we're going to be uh, talking to Puni Jeggi, uh, founder of Presinto, um, who's going to discuss the challenges and opportunities of visualization of the renewable energy industry and hopefully give us some insight into uh, his journey and how he got here as well. Um, Presinto is kind of an aspiring uh, gigacorn, as we like to say in the industry, and uh, looking forward to, to learning more about how he's uh, 
going on that journey. See you next week. Um, growing up, um, I was a victim of energy poverty. I stayed, uh, I lived all my childhood life um, um, in the peri-urban areas of Lagos. And this was in the 90s where um, small petrol generators were the vibe, right? Like it defined the average lifestyle of a middle um, class uh, family, right? And you find out that most middle class had to have it. It was like a a, a, a status symbol. But um, as at six years old, my best friend and her family died from carbon monoxide poisoning from the small petrol generator. And it was really defining for me because, you know, as a child, I didn't exactly know how to process the pain, right? Um, we didn't have access to, you know, a small petrol generator because we weren't exactly middle class. Um, but um, I had to read with candles. I had to read with... Um, um, flashlights and this kind of like spurred me into you know um, trying to solve problems within my local um, community 